This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special five-part podcast series on the fight to secure supply chains through cross-industry innovation. This podcast series is sponsored by Exeger. In this series, we will explore the ongoing efforts of Exeger to lead the discussion and enhancement of supply chain risk management. First, word about Exeger's Supply Chain Explorer. Today, risk management professionals and procurement professionals are swamped. A new artificial intelligence risk detection tool is helping Fortune 500 companies and government agencies surface, understand, and mitigate critical threats to their third-party and supplier networks literally within hours. Introducing Supply Chain Explorer, a groundbreaking AI platform developed by Exeger, a leading global risk and compliance SaaS company. Exeger Supply Chain Explorer is a next-generation platform built on award-winning AI that delivers instantaneous transparency, allowing you to meet the urgent imperative to protect global supply chains from sanctions, ESG, and cyber risk at unprecedented speed and scale. With single-click supply chain detection, high-level due diligence, and risk analysis, everyone can now join the fight to secure our global supply chains. For the first time, you can even spot potential disruptions before they impact your supply chain. Check out Exeger's Supply Chain Explorer. This concluding Episode 5, I'm joined by Dan Baines, President of Commercial Technology, and Mark Henderson, Senior Director of Business Development, to discuss supply chain issues in the energy sector. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode in our five-part series. And today I have with me Dan Baines and Mark Henderson, uh, both with Exeger. And we are going to focus on the energy industry. So obviously, this is something I'm very interested in, having uh, been a professional in that space for nearly 40 years. So gentlemen, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you very much, Tom. It's it's great to be on and, and really appreciate you having us. Thanks, Tom. Echoing Dan's thoughts. So, uh, great to talk with you today. Well, Mark, let me just uh, follow up directly with you and then pitch it over to Dan. But uh, Mark, what is your role at Exeger? So I am the global solution design lead here at Exeger. So I um, work across the extra commercial technology practice uh, extensively with our energy clients around the deployment of Exeger's technology and, and service solutions to create uh, scalable solutions for our clients that increase risk coverage and increase operational efficiency across their enterprise and, and risk management programs. So I have a, a technology-driven background and, and based in Sydney, Australia, and work with a number of our uh, Australian and global energy clients and have been in the Asia-Pacific region for the last 10 years. Thanks, Tom. Dan? Uh, yeah, uh, I am the president of, of commercial technology at Exeger. And so I manage a team of data scientists and solution architects, product managers, and delivery professionals that have various backgrounds uh, working with clients to deploy technology-enabled solutions, um, really focused on supply chain risk management and third-party risk management. And so I have done a lot in the energy space as well with our clients there. Um, and and I'm uh, based in New- Exeter's New York office, 
although I have spent time with Mark Henderson out in Asia Pacific. I was out there for a few years uh, running the region out there. Uh, so, gentlemen, I find the energy space to be endlessly fascinating, both from the regulatory perspective, the uh, compliance perspective, the operations perspective, and a wide variety of others. Um, so we're going to get to to geek out today in energy. So, Mark, I wanted to start with you uh, with some questions around cyber and beginning with why is energy currently so challenged in the supply chain risk management arena around cybersecurity, uh, cyber attacks, or just cyber in general? Thanks, Tom, and, and looking forward to geeking out with you too on, on energy. So I think um, what we're seeing, and I think what the whole industry is seeing is really a rise in the proliferation of, of, uh, of attacks and high targeted nature of the energy industry. And that really comes down to the fact that energy as a whole is so widely entrenched across every facet of modern day life that creates some of the most deep and extensive and broad supply chain networks and ecosystems on the planet. And because they are so well entrenched, uh, it makes them incredibly high targets for um, threat actors and malicious um, malicious groups looking to cause harm across those supply chain ecosystems. And I think um, that comes back to the fact that because the energy industry and their ecosystems are so widely entrenched, any successful attack has the potential for an outsized negative effect that uh, really has a domino effect that goes far and beyond uh, the initially compromised entity. And in this heightened geopolitical climate that we find ourselves in at the moment, cybersecurity and uh, attacks are, are front and center and the level of attacks are, are really only increasing across the energy industry. So Mark, let me follow up on that uh, because uh, maybe I'm, hopefully I'm not overly sensitive when the energy industry uh, gets into the public arena. Um, but it seems to me that when an energy company does sustain a cyber attack, cyber attack, and it does become public, uh, it generates huge amounts of publicity, whether that's from national security angle, whether that's from a uh, public inconvenience angle, whether it's from a perhaps a cost angle and colonial pipeline, I think would be the, the biggest one so far that we know about. But is, is my perception that energy gets more, attention when one of these becomes public? Or once again, is that just me being a little hypersensitive because I've worked in this space so long? Um, I think it is definitely high profile. And I think that is because of those impacts that successful attacks can have within the energy sector. I think you've named the Colonial Pipeline as one. But if you look across some of the recent attacks in a variety of different countries, they all dominated the headlines either in those jurisdictions or on a global scale. So down here in Australia, we had the cyber attack on uh, CS Energy last year, reportedly by Chinese hackers that was uh, essentially minutes away from causing millions of homes to lose power. And those kind of results and impacts, of course, generate headlines and generate scrutiny because it ripples across millions of consumers through one single successful attack. I think from a, a company and supply chain perspective, you look at the uh, ARA attack, the Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Antwerp attack, 
um, earlier this year that targeted oil facilities in Europe and that caused chaos and carnage within uh, those oil terminals. And that was at a time, obviously, of incredibly heightened geopolitical tension in Europe and on the globe. And it really had the, the potential to ramp up the rhetoric and escalate things further. So I think um, the energy industry has one of the highest public profile uh, on the planet anyway, and, and has done for, for a number of years. And I think um, cyber as a more recent um, component of that is is doubling down. And I think uh, we'll only see that continue. And that's really reflected in how governments and um, and legislators are responding to the energy industry and, and bolstering their cybersecurity programs through increased um, regulation and that's creating drivers and change across the industry as well, Tom. Dan, let me change the focus just a little bit by posing to you, what do you see as some of the key drivers for change within the energy industry when it comes to both third party and supply chain risk management around the issue of cyber? Yeah, sure. So uh, there, there's a couple of things happening there. Um, first, I would point out transparency in uh, in supply chain. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of the, the companies out there, a lot of the energy companies um, would only have visibility into the first layer of their supply chain, um, whether it's the, the company that they're purchasing their hardware from or uh, or even some of their software products that they're installing. Um, and the uh, the concept here and and what we've been seeing energy companies do is go th- those next layers to understand uh, the additional suppliers that actually feed into those those pieces of hardware or software um, that might themselves have vulnerabilities associated with them. Uh, and then the second thing I would highlight here, is monitoring of of cybersecurity risk. Um, Historically, it has been uh, more focused on things like questionnaires and uh, attestations that companies sign that say that they have a robust cybersecurity program. Um, But now data is available for companies to do their homework themselves. And so uh, after understanding the different companies that are within your supply chain and having that transparency there to not only the third parties that you deal with, but those suppliers, suppliers, and so forth, you can now monitor the cybersecurity posture that all of those organizations have. And so you can be alerted to a vulnerability um, that you can then action upon to help mitigate that risk quickly before a cybersecurity breach or attack happens. Mark, let me ask you, and and perhaps even uh, go into the weeds a little bit, but how much responsibility do you think or would you counsel a client on that an owner or a prime contractor push down to a counterparty uh, in the energy space around cyber? Uh, it's a really interesting question, and, and we've been talking through this a lot with clients at the moment, and that's really in light of um, the increasing legislation and, and requirements to push down in this space. So if you look in Australia, for example, we had the original Security of Critical Infrastructure Act in 2018 that was amended 
um, again in well, amended firstly in, in 2021 and again uh, in March of this year, and that uh, increases cyber program requirements and encompasses supply chain hazards. So in order for entities to meet those requirements, they are going to have to push down uh, responsibilities down to their counterparties. And that is reflected in, in other jurisdictions as well. I think the network and information systems regulations that came into force in the UK uh, in 2018, um, there's new laws that are being proposed this year, Tom, that are going to tighten defenses and expand the scope of risk assessments across um, these the requirements of expanding out to supply chain service providers. So again, companies are going to have to continue to push down responsibilities to that wider supply chain ecosystem. And then in the US, um, we've got the Strengthening American Cybersecurity Act that encompasses three uh, separate bills, but again, uh, encompasses the energy industry and it is going to um, increase the responsibilities and, and requirements for reporting. So there, for example, the latest act mandates that energy companies will have to provide detailed reporting on substantial cyber incidents within 72 hours and uh, any details on ransomware payments within 24 hours. And in order to um, to effectively communicate those and meet the requirements of that expanding legislation in those jurisdictions, there is going to be an increasing push of responsibility. And I think our companies are, or our clients are initially starting with those highly critical supply chain partnerships and, and ecosystem vendors, but those that are best in class are more rapidly identifying uh, the right areas and increasing where they need to push out responsibility. Uh, and it leads to um, quite a collective dialogue, I think, at times, which is beneficial for the whole industry. If you go back to the points we made earlier on that um, one successfully compromised entity can have a ripple effect across the supply chain. I think if the whole industry can move their standards and best practices forward together, then the whole industry is better equipped for successful defense, which is uh, obviously the most important point at the end of the day. But hopefully that's useful, Tom. Uh, it certainly is. And Dan, what I really wanted to explore with you is because of these increased uh, moving of responsibilities and frankly, interconnectedness in the supply chain and energy companies, does this perhaps present us with an opportunity from the commercial side to have uh, obviously more knowledge by your uh, contractor or plant owner into their first, second, third, perhaps fourth level uh, supply chain partner, but also have a dialogue about efficiency and operations so that uh, literally up and down the supply chain, uh, you can have greater efficiency and greater resiliency. And it's kind of a long-winded way of saying this, do these requirements from the either regulatory side of things or legal side of things, can they really help drive a uh, commercial efficiency that perhaps we haven't seen before? I think they can. Um, and, and that's a great question. I, I think that, um, well, it's a great way to look at those regulations as well, because I, I think that having those types of requirements in place and putting the responsibility on the companies to, to almost uh, band together and, and share information does improve efficiency. And so I do believe that if, uh, 
if the companies up and down the supply chain are banding together and um, and presenting a uh, a cohesive um, cybersecurity posture and monitoring, um, that's going to shore up the controls that they have in place. Now, from an efficiency perspective as well, um, there's a lot of duplication of effort when it comes to these types of controls with uh, let's say suppliers having to do the same type of, of control and showing that they have um, a, a certain uh, control environment in place to a number of different third parties that they deal with. And so as the, the industry bands together in that sense, you save on the time of doing those things multiple times and, and really only having to do it one time uh, for the entire uh, ecosystem to understand what your uh, what your profile is. And so I do think that that it helps on both the efficiency side and then also on the control environment itself. Jamal, I'd like to now turn to something I think is on every industry's mind, which is Russian sanctions. And here, once again, because of the high profile uh, nature of the energy industry and some very lucrative either joint ventures or other business ventures or even partnerships, the energy industry has had to respond in a very aggressive way to Russian sanctions. So, Dan, I really wanted to, to start with you and maybe how have you seen companies best respond to recent sanction matters or measures, rather, related to Russia and the ongoing Ukraine crisis? Sure. And, and um, thanks for the question, Tom. This one we're seeing all over the place, as you can imagine, right? With Russia being uh, having its number one export as energy-related products like oil, natural gas, and coal, um, you can imagine the impact that it has across the energy industry um, and and across energy companies' supply chains that that actually get um, some of those exports from Russia directly. And so the the sanctions that are being applied here uh, really have a, a a wide-ranging impact across the industry. And so what we've been seeing from um, our customers here uh, in the energy sector is a couple things. So um, the best companies that we've seen handling this uh, this Ukraine crisis and, and the related sanctions with it uh, are really looking at two different aspects within their uh, within their program. First is, again, that, that concept of transparency, right? And so um, making sure that you understand the networks of third parties that you deal with. And so uh, not only understanding the company that you deal with, but understanding the owners of that company, the, the ultimate beneficiary, the key management personnel, so that you can make sure that none of those individuals that are associated with that company um, are SDNs or, or sanctioned individuals. And so ensuring that you have the, the correct data to understand the network that you deal with has been critical in this time. And so we've helped companies to do that um, by providing that level of transparency and screening on an ongoing basis to make sure that you're staying up to date with any uh, new sanctions that come out. It's been a, it's been a fast-paced environment here um, and so ensuring that you have those controls in place and the transparency in the companies that you deal with is very important. And, and the best companies that we've seen have been doing that. Now, the second piece of it 
is ensuring uh, that you have proper uh, supply channels. And what that means is because Russia is such a large exporter in energy related um, uh, products, the uh, it's going to impact the supply chain for a number of energy companies out there. And, and in fact, has caused supply shortage in a lot of cases. And so the best companies here um, that have reacted to this have actually taken more of a proactive approach in, in the fact that they've already had uh, information up front that this was potentially going to happen or something here was going to happen. And they've been able to shore up their supply chain to continue to deliver the products to their customers if they were impacted by uh, the Russia uh, sanctions. And so having a tool available to make sure that you can procure those types of, of commodities from other jurisdictions that are not as impacted as, as Russia is in this case um, has been a good thing for really the, uh, the companies that have best responded to, to the sanctions measures. So Mark, uh, if I could uh, turn to you, as uh, I tried to articulate in the cybersecurity issue and something I've been trying to advocate is that is there that there is a business opportunity for U.S. energy producers uh, to step in and fill in gaps uh, caused by the lack or the shutdown of a Russian energy literally to countries around the world. Um, and if you find that premise to be valid, uh, how would you advocate companies think through that uh, from a supply chain risk management perspective. Thanks, Tom. I think definitely agree with you. And I think um, definitely valid. And there is that opportunity for U.S. energy producers to, to step in and, and fill the gap um, left by Russian producers. But there's also uh, the opportunity for the U.S. Um, and its allies and defense partners in, in various jurisdictions to step in and, and fill that gap as well. I think if you look at as recent as yesterday with Gazprom shutting off um, gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria, that is going to create uh, demand, which is going to be need to be filled. And that is going to create opportunities for either U.S. energy producers or, or producers elsewhere. Um, so definitely opportunities. I think that is going to be um, handled not only at the company level, but also require partnership at the at the government level in order to drive forward in, in these geopolitical times um, in the correct way. But uh, I think it's also going to come back to increased scrutiny of the companies and producers that are stepping in to fill the void. I think um, we've seen instances in the past where um, companies and producers um, don't quite have as clean bill of health as they initially think in terms of their exposure to Russia. And uh, if that work is not done now and ahead of time, then that is potentially going to create an obstacle to them stepping in to fill that gap if they are exposed in, in some way, shape or form across their supply chain to the very sanctioned uh, producers or um, downstream within their supply chains that they're stepping in to fill the gap in the first place. So um, good governance when it comes to risk management is going to better allow them to step in and fill that gap. But I definitely do see that gap and an opportunity, Tom, for the energy producers. Gentlemen, let me change the focus again to perhaps the most ubiquitous three letters or buzzwords in uh, business over the past 18 months or so, and that's ESG. 
Uh, ESG is very high profile within the energy space. And Mark, if I could turn to you and ask you, how does or has ESG regulatory risk management evolved within the energy industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I spend a lot of my uh, a lot of my time in our sessions with clients focusing on exactly these issues. So um, we're seeing some some interesting um, components around ESG in particular. I think obviously your listeners and everybody is, is very well aware that E has traditionally been the most, probably the most focused on item um, within the acronym. But what we've seen um, globally with our client base, and this is reflected in the legislation of late, is that the S within ESG, the social issues, are rapidly becoming um, as important a focus area as environmental has traditionally been. So in the same way that we see uh, consumers and companies and governments stop and pause about their commercial interactions with energy companies based on environmental issues, I think we're going to see in the future um, consumers, companies and governments stop and pause based on social issues too. Um, which to me, I think is um, is not only the right thing to do, but there's huge commercial incentive for companies to move forward in this space um, appropriately and effectively. And that is really married to the legislation. So if you look across the US and Australia and, and the UK, um, Brazil, France, Italy as well, all have some form or another of modern slavery um, legislation passed. I think the US actually goes all the way back to 1930 with Section 307 of the, the Tariff Act and obviously has much more modern day legislation within social issues such as the Uyghur um, Act uh, of last year. Um, if you look at other companies, they have significant uh, legislation to respond to in other jurisdictions. So in Germany, we've got the Supply Chain Due Diligence Act that will come into effect in uh, 2023, 1st of January, and that is going to require companies to identify, assess, prevent and remedy human rights risks and impacts across their supply chains. And that's going to have uh, actual possible commercial consequences for not meeting those requirements, Tom. So in Germany, for example, companies will be at the risk of being fined up to 800,000 euros uh, and possibly the exclusion of winning public contracts in Germany for up to three years. So there's significant commercial pressure to get this right. Uh, and then in Canada, for example, we've got the the planned bill S211, which has been working its way through um, the legislature for some time. I think it's currently at the third reading in the Senate, but that is going to create increased focus on social issues within ESG for the energy industry as well. So we're seeing environmental continue to remain and, and rightly so as a front and center issue, but social issues, particularly around modern slavery, are increasing in scope and increasing in attention, Tom. So Dan, if I could turn to you with the recently released SEC proposed rules on the or climate risk management uh, disclosure and uh, ask you, uh, at least in the proposed form, what did you see that these would mean for energy companies recognizing they are proposed and there may be uh, amendments, but the SEC may move forward? So uh, what were your thoughts on the proposed rules? Sure. I, I think this means accountability. Um, and and what I mean by that is uh, 
there have been over the past several years as the E in ESG has come to the forefront, there have been a lot of commitments that companies have made um, and, and some have even made statements to say, hey, this is what we are uh, committing to carbon neutral by X date. Um, and those dates just seem to continue to move out for a lot of companies. And so having this disclosure rule gives the public um, the insight across the board for all public companies into those targets that, that companies are committing to, into the uh, climate-related risks that those companies are seeing. Um, and, and since it is in the financial statements, uh, it will be audited and so forth. And so I do think that if this rule were to be enacted as it's written, um, it will provide accountability across the, the energy sector, but also across uh, really all public companies here that fall under this rule. Let me follow that up with a question about scope three, because uh, it, to me, uh, Dan, it really follows part of our conversation today around transparency and accountability, but also moving down the supply chain and that leading to perhaps commercial opportunities that were not there before because of collaboration. So I wanted to get your thoughts on where you see uh, scope three, how energy companies may manage scope three, and maybe even it just follows from what you said about the proposed rules about accountability and transparency. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom. Um, I, I think it does uh, kind of round out some of the themes that we were talking about today um, around, yes, accountability, but also partnership. And so scope three being uh, really having the data to look into your supply chain and understand um, emissions that, that are occurring within your supply chain. Um, in order to uh, have that information and have those conversations with your your suppliers and and your suppliers suppliers and so forth. Um, it really does come with an opportunity to have a more meaningful relationship across your supply chain and find those efficiencies, even that we were discussing before uh, across the control environment. But finding those efficiencies when it comes to uh, environmental risk and and emissions there. Um, I, I think that scope three, uh, in order to get the data that, that is required for scope three, um, it does require that partnership and the industry to come together um, in order to find those efficiencies within the supply chain. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any additional information on yourselves or any of the topics we've talked about or Exeger and some of the solutions you've referenced, what would be the best way for them to find more, out more information? Sure. The best way is to, to go to Exeger.com. We, we have a lot of detail there on third-party risk management and supply chain risk management. Um, we've just la launched a, a product. Gentlemen, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. I've certainly learned a lot in this podcast, and I think our listeners Will, too, I look forward to continuing this conversation. This is Tom Fox again. This concludes our five-part series on Exeter's fight to secure supply chains through cross-industry innovations. You can join the fight to secure our global supply chain by obtaining 
early access trial licenses to Exeger Supply Chain Explorer by visiting exeger.com and we've linked to the site on the show notes. You can also find out how Exeger is making the world a safer and more effective place to do business by following Exeger on LinkedIn or reaching out to any of the experts featured on today's podcast. This special five-part series has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.